This podcast is brought to you by Alliance Motor Auctions. Has your car shit itself? Then you've got to go with Alliance. It's the easiest way to buy a quality car at a very competitive price. Located in Moorbank, New South Wales. Call 02-9822-7200 or visit www.allianceauctions.com.au South Coast Window Furnishings. Have your window furnishings shit themselves? Then you've got to get in touch with SCWF. They service the south coast of New South Wales from Wollongong to Bermagui. Give Jamie a call for a free quote on 0408 812 007 or like them on Facebook at South Coast Window Furnishings. Elite Sports Physiotherapy. Has your back or another part of your body shit itself? Then look no further than ESP. Established in 2006, Elite Sports Physiotherapy provides physiotherapy and massage services to the people of Melbourne. Located on the mezzanine level, 13-15-1 Freshwater Place in Southbank, Melbourne. Give them a call on 03-8640-0328 or visit elitesportsphysio.com.au today. Also, special thanks to verse.com.au for putting the finishing touches on this podcast. Cheers. Hello there. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for listening. My guest this episode is one third of the popular Australian podcast Do Go On, Jess Perkins. Also a comedian and radio host, Jess came round for a chat about all of the above. This is Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Jess Perkins, thanks for taking it easy with me today. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Dan. How are you going? I'm pretty good, thanks. Pretty good. Now, we've both just got back from overseas trips. Yeah, you, not to brag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're worldly. We travel. Yeah. Uh, you from the UK <laughs> mm. and I just got back from India. Uh, we discussed this over Messenger the other day about uh, jet lag. Yeah. How is yours now? I think I'm okay-ish now. Mm-hmm. I, I think... In previous trips traveling in my early 20s, I was fine when I got over there, like mm-hmm. maybe a day and then I was fine. But coming home always took a bit longer to sort of yeah. recover. Whereas this time it's been the other way around. When we got to the UK, it took me a solid week, if not longer, to not wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Right. Or, yeah, it would get to 8 p.m. and I'd be ready for bed and have to just hold on <laughs> for a couple yeah. of hours. Like, go to bed at a reasonable time. But now I think I'm okay. How long has it been since you got back? Just over a week. Yeah, that's yeah. you should be coming good so now. So I'm pretty say good 10 now. days is the sort of... Yeah, I woke up a bit groggy this morning and mm. now I can't tell if it's jet lag or just a shit sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, I, I went to India and I thought... It's because India's only... 14 hours roughly with two flights and the time difference is about five and a half hours okay. earlier than Australia right. is. So it's um, – but I still felt funny the last few nights. Like mm. I – the other night I stayed up and made myself so tired to the point where I could hardly keep my eyes open. And then I woke up at 3.15, bright uh, as a button, ready to go. And I was like, this is the worst. And your body's okay. like – uh, I don't want to do this, and your mind's like, "No, nah, we'll we'll get up." Yeah, yeah and, and normally, if I wake up early in the morning and don't have anywhere to be, I'm pretty good at going back to sleep mm. for a bit. But yeah, waking up at four thirty in the morning, five in the morning, and it, I'm awake. Yeah. So I I got up probably 
We got back Wednesday night. Friday morning I woke up at 4.30 in the morning and tried to go back to sleep, gave up at about 5 and got up and was watching TV <laughs> with a coffee at 5.30 in the morning. It felt wrong. Yeah. It's like I should be doing. TV's terrible at that time yeah, as well. It's no good. There's nothing on there. I, I've, I went to the UK as well this year in July, August. Two trips in, in one year. I know. Um, <laughs> and I really struggled on the way back yeah. with the jet lag. I find I lose – Taste like my senses go. Like I f- can't taste anything for two or three days oh, after. How like, weird! It must be from just being in air conditioning and then airports for that's a good point. No fresh air or something. Yeah. I f- I really struggled. To, I just got back and I was having a meal that I u- would usually love. I was like, I can't taste anything. <laughs> What's happened? Yeah. Oh, that's terrifying. Get a little bit delirious as well. Yeah, I think the the air conditioning and that. Uh, yeah, that fake air in the plane mm. always just makes me feel gross and yeah. dry. Well, you know, a friend of mine said uh, he had to do some filming at Heathrow once in London and they were talking to stewardesses and, you know, the pilots and mm. people coming and going and they said when a plane gets from, say, you know, Hong Kong or Singapore, it's been in the air for 14 hours, 15 hours, they send the newest person down the run where the crowd walks up, yeah. I don't think what you call that thing, um, they send the youngest person down to stand and help open the door because the smell that comes out of the plane is horrific. Really? <laughs> yeah. uh, wow. It's just all the farts and breath. Yeah, and, it would be gross. Yeah, the and food. meals and yeah. It's kind of like when you open a teenager's bedroom door yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, the, in the morning. It's like, oh. <laughs> But when you're when you're the teenager, you're just used to it. You don't smell it. Yeah, well, that's like us. We've been sitting in it for 14 hours, soaking it in. I think that's another reason I'd lose taste. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Have you found as well? And I'm sorry to you know uh, to imply that you're old, but have you found (laughs) that jet lag gets worse as you get a bit older? Well, here's the thing: I didn't really travel. I've never really. uh, I after school, I. Was just gambling. I didn't really travel anywhere. <laughs> I travelled anywhere. It was to go to the races yeah, somewhere. Right, okay. So we all have different youths. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't. Uh, I only went to Bali once. Yeah. Okay. And it's only been the last couple of years, thanks to stand up, that I've been able to travel a bit, go really international. Yeah. But I, it definitely. I thought I would be fine for some reason in my head. I was like, jet lag. That's fine. I'll just mm. sort the times out and sleep when I need to. But it, it is. Quite hard. It's hard. And I imagine it'll get worse as I get older. Yeah. I'm sorry to be the one to tell you, but I think it does because yeah. I'm sure I was more resilient yeah. even five years ago. I probably went to the UK for the first time backpacking. Mm. I think I was about five years ago and I, yeah, had one day of jet lag when we got over there and my ankles were a bit swollen <laughs> <laughs> and I was fine. Right. And now, yeah, it's like I need a solid week either side. Because when we planned the trip over to the UK, the boys that I travelled with, we gave ourselves four or five days when we got there before we even had a show. Mm. And I was thinking, oh, I was a bit, that's quite a bit of time, yeah. being, being a bit precious. No, I was very grateful yeah. for that time because I was not okay. <laughs> Have you been told many – people love to give you tips on jet lag, uh, avoiding it. Mm. I've been told that when you get back, uh, coming back from the UK, uh, that's you know side, side of the world, after that long flight, when you get back to Australia, just get really drunk. Oh. And then <laughs> – as soon as you get back, just get drunk, yep. super drunk, and then you just pass out. That feels then, like something an Australian would tell you to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, and probably not recommended by doctors, I no. would say. Uh, what else have I heard that 
you obviously sleeping tablets and things mm. help. But before you leave the UK, you try and for the last couple of days you're there, you try and sync your sleeping patterns up a bit closer to home. Right. But even then, like That's you want to enjoy to yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've only got a couple of days left. Yeah. And we were doing a show like our second last day. I would have slept through the show <laughs> if if I was trying to go by that system. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> and you just mentioned your ankles swelling up. I've yeah. heard that's a thing. I've had friends that have now have to wear the compression socks just to yeah. keep the cankles from yeah. blowing up. <laughs> I think it's just because you're... Because you're sitting down for so long. Yeah. And do I you get up and do the recommended, you twist your feet around? Nowhere and near enough. Yeah. But I would pull my, like I'd pull my one leg up at a time and sort of move my ankles around yeah. a bit, mm. get up and go to the toilet and just walk around a bit. Yeah. I like to get up like once every hour or so. Yeah, that's pretty good. People look at me funny, but I am, if I'm not in a leg bit of space with an emergency row, I struggle. Yeah, of course. Like packed up into a. You're a, very, you're a big tall boy. Can, yeah. It's yeah. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you're a Melbourneian through and through. Yes, born and raised. Whereabouts did you um, be raised? <laughs> Whereabouts did you grow up? Um, I grew up out in Wonturner South originally. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's where my parents were when I was born. And then. Is that out Knox Way? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, not far from Knox. It's impressive, Knox. Yeah. When, was that built when you were growing up? Knox was there. Like, it was a. An a pretty average shopping centre, and okay. then probably when I was a teenager was when like that outdoor that ozone mm, area was built. Ozone, lots yeah. of restaurants, uh, the cinema, mm. um, few bars and clubs where I've disgraced myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I kind of grew up there. But then when I was twelve, thirteen, um, my first year of high school, we moved to Mount Waverley. Okay, which was great because my school was in Mount Waverley. So Terrific. I went from having to get up at like six thirty in the morning to rolling out of bed ten minutes before school started, <laughs> and uh, and always being late. But um, yeah, and that's kind of where my parents still are. Yeah, and now I live in Hawthorne, Andy, which is where my dad grew up. I live like oh, less than a k away from the, the my grandparents' what? old home. They're right. both, they're not with us anymore, but like the house my dad grew up in. Right. It's like going back to the motherland. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. The original nest. Kind of cool. It's nice. What sort of school did you go to? Was it a, a mixed or no a... Catholic all girls school? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you tell? <laughs> Which I actually, in hindsight, think was the best move for me. I really liked the school anyway. I picked it. Apparently, um, <laughs> I don't really remember going into like school open days, but Mum said when we went and looked at that school, I went. That's easy I'm to make. Totally easy right. Easy for your mum to say. It was your choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You loved it. Whatever she says, just tell her we can't. Because <laughs> <laughs> conveniently I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was an all-girls school and uh, I think that was the right move for me because being the funny kid, mm. if there were boys around, I probably would have shut up a little bit more. <laughs> I don't think I would have come out of my shell quite as much as I did. Okay. I sort of needed to be the class clown yeah. and the idiot. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, not have that pressure of uh, trying to impress boys. Was there a rival boys' school, though, close yeah. by? That, yep. We yeah. had a brother school. Brothers, right. Um, and uh, the only thing we did with them was a musical once a year. Mm-hmm. And only, like, I think it was from year 10 to 12 you could be in the musical. So we didn't Would have, have been hookups galore during that, <laughs> like, only like one, <laughs> one time of the year. <laughs> rehearsals on weekends. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, and it was good, too, when we were in, like, year 12, I think probably by around year 10 or 11, I, I made a group of friends from that school as well. So, but every, especially when there was 18ths, 
every weekend, then they'd have to go to rehearsals the next day and it would just be <laughs> gossip about who, who who had hooked up with who the night before. Yeah. Oh, God, good times. They are the good times, those year 10 to 12 at high school. Yeah. That's the, uh, definitely when I started going to the most parties, yep. house parties, and things started to take off, people experiencing things for the first time, and mm. that would be the talk of the school for the next yeah. week or so. It's kind of nice just being part of a group too. Mm. Like I don't think you find that as much as an adult in friendships. You tend to just have – Either really small groups or like one-on-one yeah, friendships. Lots of one, yeah. There isn't really like everybody's going to the pub yeah. on Saturday and you go and you know 30 people there. It yeah. doesn't happen now. Nah. And I miss that a little bit sometimes and then I think about most of those people and I'm like, yeah, it's probably okay that yeah. I don't see them anymore. Well, I'm, I, must have th- I must have missed that aspect of school for till I was like 25. I mm. And I, I really – the two years after school finished, I really struggled not seeing everyone <laughs> socially, like always sending texts like, oh, do you want to all, let's all go to this place at once? Yeah. And people are like, nah. Nah. Bit of a cry, but anyway. <laughs> um, did you study after after school you finished? Yeah, school? I did. I went and um, I wanted to study drama at Monash Uni, mm-hmm. but you needed an enter score that was much higher than what I got. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I, I auditioned and they really liked my audition, but my enter score wasn't high enough, which makes no sense for a mm. performing arts yeah. degree. But I didn't get in, so I went and did uh, creative arts and culture. Sorry, how did you get an audition if you if you score? Yeah, still? you had to audition and have like a decent enter score as well. You think that. Ask to see the end of school first, then be like, well, don't bother yeah, about the audition. Yeah, and then invite you to audition. Or don't worry about it. Cause yeah. You're, you're gonna... So strange. And also, why do you have to be really good at maths and biology to do a performing arts yeah. degree? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Like, if you looked at the classes that I did, it was arts. Like, I did photography and drama and got yeah. a perfect score in drama. So, give me a, get, give me a spot in the Let goddamn in. degree. Yeah. Not that I'm still bitter about it. <laughs> yeah, I went to ACU for a year and I did – Creative arts and culture, which basically was an arts degree, but you had to major in something creative. Which was? <laughs> drama and literature. <laughs> okay. But in my drama classes, we didn't actually do any acting. We would sit around and read a play out loud. Oh. So after a year of that, I left. Did you? <laughs> and I went and did media and communications at Deakin, and I majored in journalism. Okay. Yeah, which was a bit different to what I had and, tried before. And at that stage, you had the idea that you might like to – head into that field in some way? Yeah, I, I was always a, a writer when I was a teenager, like mm-hmm. writing stories and stuff. I always liked telling stories. So I think that's the side of journalism I wanted to do, not mm-hmm. so much the, uh, you know, the boring stories of like here's what happened and then yeah. this happened. I, At I, I think the party I would, last weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would have liked more profiles and, you know, interviewing people and stuff like that. Okay. Mm. A bit like a current affair. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But not a current affair, the TV show, because <laughs> it's horseshit. <laughs> it used to be good. Yeah. Remember back in the Yana, Yana Went days? It Yana, used to be good. Yeah. And it used to be... Ray Martin. Because we studied what current affairs actually mean. So, like, a news story would say, like, what, when, and that was about it. And then a cur- current affairs stories goes into why and how, and mm. they just go into more detail, but... The show A Current Affair ruined that. It's yeah, it's really now I've I have not purposely watched it. It just maybe came on mm. I was sitting at home. And now it just seems to be uh, people who have terrible neighbours and put cameras yeah. on their terrible neighbours. Or dodgy car salesmen. Ca- yeah. And yeah. they're just like running up to them in the street and blurring their face yeah. out and having Why did you do it? Yeah. What's wrong with you? <laughs> 
Don't you feel bad? That's it. That's their journalism. <laughs> so when did stand-up comedy, uh, was that in your periphery then? No. It, it was something that I always loved. Like I, I was obsessed with tripod okay. when I was a teenager. I loved comedy um, and I would drag my parents along to comedy festival shows because I needed a guardian because mm-hmm. I was underage. <laughs> Um, and I always liked it and I, I used to, I remember I'd see shows and kind of go, oh, I want to do that, mm-hmm. but never actually thought it was something I could do. And it wasn't until much later when I started doing um, community radio just because I thought that would be kind of fun. I ended up hosting a show called In Joke on Sin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is all about stand-up comedy. So I hosted that for about a year and would go and watch comedy all the time. Mm-hmm. Few free tickies out of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or just like just going to the free nights. We'd go. We'd go to Spleen and just watch, and then we'd talk mm-hmm. about it on the show. And ah, okay. Who was on and whatnot. Um, and then I think kind of from there, I just took a punt and signed up for Raw Comedy. Mm-hmm. I remember we had Dill on the show. Yeah. He still credits himself with uh, inspiring me to start comedy because <laughs> we were talking about how I was thinking about doing Raw, and he was like, you know, what? Just do it. Basically, he was like, if if you. If let's say you knew that you'd you'd do it and you wouldn't be great, would you still give it a go? And mm. I went, yeah. And he goes, so just do it. Yeah. So I did, and then it all kind of happened from there. Yeah, it went quite well. Yeah, yeah, I ended up. I got through my first heat. I ended up in the state final, and I got knocked out, and then got a wild card into the national final. Mm. Excellent. Mm. Yeah, the amount of people I've this is you're about the thirtieth person, thirty first person I've done on this podcast. Right. So many of the comedians. Have been through raw. It's yeah. crazy how many. That is a starting point for so many people. It's a good. It's sort of like starting at the top of a hill in a way. Like it snowballs a lot easier, I think, mm. because other opportunities came from it as well. And I started to meet people, and then that meant going to open mic nights weren't as daunt wasn't as daunting for yeah. new people. Yeah, and I guess that goes to air as well if you make the national final. Yeah. It helps as well because you was only my, there. That was only my seventh gig. Wow. So yeah. my seventh, my sixth gig was uh, Comedy Up Late. Really? Yep. And my seventh <laughs> was the national final. So my sixth and seventh gig ever were televised. Televised, yeah. <laughs> That's stupid. Yeah. Well, I think I did my first TV spot eight years in. <laughs> <laughs> so different journeys, you yeah, know? Yeah. 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 Uh, and then you, did you do a debut solo show the year after Comedy I didn't. Zone? Or no, did you? I I haven't done a solo. Really? Yeah, I did Comedy Zone, and then so yeah, Raw Comedy. Then I got into Comedy Zone the next year, which was awesome. Then the year after that, I did a split show with Naomi Higgins. Mm-hmm. Twins was that called? Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Just because she's so small. I I sort of thought to myself, if we try and take a picture for a poster, I'm going to look enormous. <laughs> and then I thought, we'll just do, we'll rep, um, recreate the twins poster, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. Um, yeah, and then I, my plan was to do a solo the following year, mm-hmm. and I didn't. And then, which would have been this year, I think. Yeah, and so then I was going, I'll use 2018 to write a show for 2019. I've done a handful of gigs this year. <laughs> it's been a bit of a messy year, so I'm going to try. We're try, trying for 2020, but yeah. we'll see. Why not? Yeah. Uh, you ha- so yeah. After that, twins, you had a bit of a break. Yeah. Stand up. You just did. You just do it just to take a breath because everything had happened kind really quickly, of. and you'd just been doing so many gigs in a short amount of time. Yeah, I did twins, and then I think I did roadshow not long after that as well, out in Western Australia, and I just sort of wanted. 
wanted a little bit of a time to breathe. Mm. So I geeked a bit through last year, um, but nowhere near as much as I had the year before, mm. probably about half the amount, which was still quite a bit to be honest because the year before I was pushing really hard. Yeah. And then this year after Comedy Festival, I mean we've been doing the Do Go On the podcast live shows during the festival. So I'm still in it. I'm still doing something. Yeah. I don't feel complete fun though. Yeah. <laughs> um, but after this year, I sort of thought, yeah, I'll take a solid couple of months off and just recharge because I wasn't writing anything new. Mm. So when I was performing, I was performing stuff that I'd done heaps and it yeah. doesn't feel as challenging or rewarding, I guess. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I, I spoke to Mel Buttle about this on this podcast because uh, she had a lot of early success straight away with mm. her career as well. I was the total opposite. I didn't – I think I did a raw heat, never made it through and yeah, then right. didn't really get anything happening for about three years of gigging. Uh, and there's t- times where you, you know, you, you doubt your ma- mm. material. There's things, you know, you have to get used to within the scene. It's very – everybody's for themselves, you know. It's yep. all these things you'd never really experience in other parts of life. Did you find that? Hard to sort of deal with as yeah. well as you've had two TV spots in your first 10 gigs, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah. Like everybody says it takes you sort of 10 years to find your feet. Yeah. So, yeah, was it just so much going on? You're like, far out. This is all. It's pretty overwhelming. Yeah, overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And your early success is, is nice but also then can kind of lead to a bit of pressure mm. and it's perceived pressure. I don't think anybody's actually going – Perkins has to be yeah. the best. But to me, I was kind of like, shit, I've got to keep this up. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the natu- natural instinct yeah. for anyone. Yeah. And so I think it's really healthy to step back a little bit and mm. go, well, why am I actually doing this? Yeah. Because you can sort of get swept up in it a bit too. Mm. And I noticed, and, and talking to other friends who started around the same time as me, Danielle Walker and I have talked about this a bit, where – At first, when we started doing comedy, it was so exciting and so intoxicating and there was a a new group of friends and you felt Mm. like you had a place. And then it becomes, over time, it becomes more like a job. Mm. It's just something you have to do to keep going. It's sort of that excitement wears off a little bit. Yeah. And so then adapting to that as well, it's just a change. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. And it's kind of constant as well, stand-up. There's gigs every night of the week. Yeah. There's... Yeah, just things happening. There's festivals happening all the time. And it's like exercising. Like if you stop, Mm. you lose that fitness. Yeah. So if you do – my plan was, yeah, a couple of months I'd have a break and now it's been – well, I'd have done – I've done – I think it was six or seven gigs this year, Mm -hmm. again, one of which was televised. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you do that really. You just, yeah. Well, when they said, can you come do a stand-up spot on TV, I went, well, I probably should. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, all right. I just make sure one in every 10 gigs <laughs> is, is on TV. Is on TV. That's part of my requirement yeah. now. Um, yeah, so it's it's been a much longer break, which means that trying to get back into it is going to be a real challenge. I'm yeah. going to have to just start – I want to start slow mm. and start at open mic rooms and just try stuff out again. Yeah. but you have I've still got it. You have time on your hands as well. That's one thing. Like yeah. There's no – that's the thing with stand-up. Everybody's in a rush. Yeah. Uh, and it's – I've spoken to a lot of people about just t- like just keep you know gig or whatever, but just take your time. Like there's mm. nothing you're not going to miss out on anything. You still have to have a life. Yes, yeah. I think that you get stuck a little bit in a point of putting it first, mm. but you can't because you still have to have 
a normal life and see your family and see yeah. your friends outside of comedy and yeah. Yeah. Anyone I've spoken to that's had a break, a proper break, loved it. Like yeah. the first month they were like, oh, should I be doing this? And then after a couple of months they're like, this is the best. It's so good. Yeah. And I think it was hard too because for, for when I started comedy, even until earlier this year, I was working full-time as well. Right. So trying to work full-time, do a podcast, which we'd usually record at night after work, you know, maintain some kind of social life. It was insane. And mm. plus then I started to do radio stuff as well, so that's taking up time too. Yeah. It's too much. Yeah. So I was spinning all these plates yeah. but kind of doing the bare minimum at all of them. Yeah. So you're not excelling at anything. You're just mm-hmm. kind of making do. Yeah. That's just a bit shit. Yeah. You mentioned the radio there. You mm. started doing a bit of Triple J. Yeah. Uh, how did that come about? Uh, I was working on – I was doing breakfast radio on Joy just like one day a week. It's just a volunteer thing. Just a, It's just a big community station. And I got a message on Twitter mm-hmm. from the producer of, the, of Veronica and Lewis, the afternoon, the drive show on Triple J, just saying they were interested in me coming in and doing a segment once a week. Right. And that – was the best because it came at a time where, you know, when just I'd had a shit few months and mm-hmm. that everything was a bit fucked and I was really stressed and there was no light at the end of the tunnel. And then things had started to get a little bit better. So I'd got like a full time, I'd got a better job. Then this came about. And then around the same time, I started dating a boy. Yeah. So it was like things were just sort yeah. of going a bit better. Um, so I started doing this segment that must have been like March of. I want to say last year, mm-hmm. 2017, yeah, was when that sort of started. I did that for six months and it was going really well. And then they asked if I could do some mid-dawns, the, the graveyard shift. Yeah, so this is one oh. till six, right? Yeah, one till six in the morning. <laughs> they sort of, over summer, the, the regular shows take a bit of a break, so they needed some fill-ins and they asked if I wanted to give it a go. And I was like, yeah, all right, <laughs> we'll do that. And I've been doing that now ever since. So probably for about 18 months I've been doing that once a week. Right. So, I'm having jet lag flashbacks here, thinking about these hours to be awake. Yep. Uh, I I basically have jet lag once a week. Yeah. (laughs) Every So, I do it Wednesdays. I do it Wednesday morning. I go home and sleep for a bit. Then I go back into Triple J in the afternoon to do my drive segment Mm because I still do that with the drive (laughs) team. So, Wednesday night and Thursday, I'm jet lagged every week. Yeah. It's I'm hungry, but I don't want to eat. And I'm snappy. And I, yeah, and I'm not that pleasant to be around those days. What what sort of people are tuning in to a radio station at that those hours? Are you getting many messages from listeners? You, you do surprisingly. Talking truck drivers, bakers. Yep, that's exactly yep. it. Farmers. Farmers. At certain yep. times of the year, you'll get a lot of farmers. Mm-hmm. They're in the tractor and they're they're listening. Yeah. Um. There's, so there's, you're playing a bit more Lee Kernigan. <laughs> <laughs> Just to keep, no, they like the bangers. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It is interesting. There's always a bit of a dead hour, usually like two to three. It sort of quietens off. Yeah. By about four, you got those very eager people getting up to go to the gym. Ugh. I'm always like, ugh. What are you doing? Why? Why are you up? If I didn't have to be, I wouldn't be awake, yeah. but I'd have to be here. Um, so, yeah, people do listen. That's they could positive. just, <laughs> But I, they could just like – Put on a tape, basically, mm. and just let music play from those times until the breakfast team come in. But it's kind of cool to give young people or new people to radio a chance to get some practice. Yeah, because if you're doing like, 
even if you're doing community radio and stuff, you might only get a couple of hours a week on a show, mm. whereas that's five hours. That's a big shift. That's the longest shift that Triple J does. Mm. And you, you're smashing out a lot of airtime. Yeah. It's flying hours is basically what it yeah. is. So it's kind of cool. It's great mm. to have on your resume too moving forward. Like Yeah, and yeah. it leads to other things. Like I get to fill in here and there when on at reasonable hours, like mm. in yeah. the afternoon. You're I saying this that. Christmas time you'll be – Yeah, I'm going to be doing the weekend arvos and a few days over actual Christmas, like Christmas Eve to Boxing Day. Awesome. That'll be fun. Be able to tune in. Yeah. You're listening to Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Hey, before we go back to the podcast, I want to tell you about someone. That someone is Melbourne-based photographer Nicole Reed. One of the most sought-after photographers going around, Nicole has taken photos for all sorts of people. Comedians like Peter Hellier and Anne Edmonds, musical acts like the Hilltop Hoods, and sports stars like Buddy Franklin. If you want to see how great her work is, I suggest you head over to her Instagram page. It's Nicole Reed Photographer. While you're at it, you may as well jump on her website, which is www.nicolereed.photography. Get in contact and book in a shoot today. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Now, also in the last few years, uh, you started a podcast yes. as well. We, we mentioned that when you, that's what you traveled to the UK for. Mm few weeks back uh podcast is called do go on yep uh with fellow comedians dave warnick here matt stewart mm. legend uh guys um it's a fact-based podcast yeah. where one of you find out uh some information about either a person in time or an event mm-hmm. in history and you come back and explain it yeah do a report two. on it like a school report basically yeah yeah so, so when you started this podcast did you have any idea that it would go as crazy as it has? I barely knew what a podcast was. <laughs> I remember Matt and Dave had tried it. They'd, they'd recorded, I think, two episodes, two or three episodes, just the two of them. Mm-hmm. And they realised it didn't quite work with two because it was basically one person giving a report and the other going, oh, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> um, so it's kind of hard to riff a yep. little bit there. So they thought they needed a third person and, and apparently I was on both of their lists. Yes. So Matt asked me one night and I went in and did it. And yeah, I really liked it. It's just it was fun to do, and and I got along well with those guys. Um, I I I knew them, but we weren't you know close friends or anything mm. when it first started. We were sort of acquaintances, comedy comedy pals. And yeah, I, th- I don't think we had any idea what it would lead to or what mm. would happen, or that people would be listening all over the world, or that we'd have a joint bank account. I never thought my first <laughs> joint bank account with someone would be with those two. You know? <laughs> That was surprising. That's for me. a sign things are doing well when yeah. you're opening up. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's your favourite fact that you've ever researched? You've done over 160, oh, yeah. 160 episodes. Yep, which is a lot. <laughs> oh, that is good. There's a my favourite episode still is episode ten. So it's mm-hmm. going back nearly three years. Okay. Or over three years. Uh, which and it's a really morbid topic that Dave <laughs> did about. It was called burial, cremation, and other, and it was about the options of what you can do with your body after you die. Yeah. Which is so morbid but so interesting. Oh, it's fascinating. It's I've, so I've interesting. interviewed a, a um, funeral director Ooh. on this podcast, sat in that very chair, and ah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was really fascinated by asking asked him a lot of questions. He was quite happy to answer yeah. uh, with that 
along those lines, like uh, cremation and they're amazing people. Mm. Funeral directors, they are. The emotional yeah. intelligence and the empathy mm. is incredible. Yeah, and the things he's seen as well, yeah. like just crazy. And the main thing I did ask him uh, <laughs> was because I've watched CSI, <laughs> uh, as most yep. people have at some point, yep. and there'll be. Moments in CSI where a body in a morgue may sit up or something like that right. you know, or a hand might go up or something and oh. he said, not really, doesn't really happen. He said a finger. <laughs> not so, really yeah, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, a finger might move or something but nobody's sitting up yeah. unfortunately so that was disappointing to have that, that is, yeah. nipped in the bud. <laughs> I would have edited that bit out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just had my voice going, yes. Yes, they, sit, yes. they actually get up and walk away. <laughs> you've got to strap them down. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, no, Dave talking about like with open casket funerals, which thankfully don't happen so much anymore. Funny you say that. I was just in India. Oh, no. And the last Saturday we were there, this is just Saturday gone, uh, this is late November, Yeah. a famous actor turned politician passed away overnight. They cancelled all our final shows <gasps> on the Sunday that because all the bars get closed, everything gets closed. They put his open casket. Wow. In the middle of the main cricket stadium in Bangalore or Bengaluru. And like 600,000 people came from the outskirts to come and, and they come and like touch his head and. Oh my God. Yeah, say goodbye. Wow. Mm. But the, and they show it on TV. So you can just see him just lying up there. But the things they do to that body are gross. Yes. Yeah. Really gross. Well, I wouldn't want 500 people, 1,000 people touching my face. No. Dead or alive. <laughs> <laughs> don't touch me. Yeah. It's a general rule. Don't touch me. Yeah. Um. Oh wow. Yeah. Because they sort of it's all, it's a process of embalming. So they like they pack your anus with cotton. Yeah, I've heard about that before. And they put you in like plastic undies in case of any yeah. seeping and mm. oh, it's just so gross. Yeah, but it's so, so interesting though. So interesting. And cremation is becoming very popular. Yeah, as well. and I think it makes sense. Mm. Just in terms of, I don't really want to just be put in the ground in a box. I find mm. that, I've always thought that's what I wanted. But I think just because the idea of cremation scared me. But I'm dead, so mm. it doesn't matter what happens. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, one, of my, was... one of my first ever jokes was about um, <laughs> having a girlfriend who's, one of my old girlfriends was, her parents owned a funeral home. Mm. And uh, I, they used to have me sleep over there and it was pretty normal. Except sometimes I'd wake up with makeup on my face and, <laughs> and cotton balls up my ass. <laughs> That's a good yeah. joke. And the mother's roast dinners had to be seen to be believed. You could have sworn that turkey was still alive. <laughs> I've done that one for a while. I might bring it back. Yeah, bring that back. That is good stuff. That was very funny. Yeah. I, I'm as morbid as it is. I am fascinated by that stuff. I think we all are. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason our, some of our most popular topics are serial killers. Mm. People, People love serial love killers. Love it. Yeah. And and you can go into sort of quite – Unless you've been killed by the serial killer. You're yeah. not a fan, but others love, <laughs> love them. Love them. Mm. Yeah. So it's fascinating but so morbid and gross. Mm. But the, that's my favourite episode and the reason I just default to that is that I thought doing this podcast would mean that I would – have a lot better general knowledge, mm. but I forget everything. Oh, okay. Everything we've reported on is it's in one ear and out the other. I mm -hmm. don't remember anything. We just remembered the cotton balls. Yeah, the you ass. don't forget the cotton <laughs> balls in the ass, do you? Has it been? I'm just thinking of serial killers. Most serial 
serial killer stories are from the 80s, 70s, yep. earlier. There's only been a couple in the last maybe 10, 15 years. Yeah. They're kind of – the art of serial killing has really <laughs> tied off a bit, hasn't it? Hasn't maybe it really? it'll have a resurgence. Yeah. Well, I guess it's harder to get – with technology and it's everything today. It's hard to get away yeah. yeah. But I think that's why people are so fascinated because you're not really – it's so long ago – yeah. You're quite just ha- like fascinating. How did that happen? How could you get away with that? You can distance yourself a little bit. Yeah. That especially a few of those American ones. Yeah, definitely. You're like, how did that? Well, one of the mistakes we made on our UK tour was we did a live episode of Serial Killers. Mm-hmm. I think people like listening to the Serial Killer episodes when they're just listening alone. But mm-hmm. in a room with 200 other people, it's kind of hard for us to make it funny. And so it was quite a tense room. <laughs> also, I did one that was way too recent. And also we'd made it UK serial killers. So the three of us did mini reports each. <laughs> and I did Dr. Death, who um, only in the 90s was yeah. um, was arrested and he had like 250 victims. So it was quite really? possible that a, it was a family member of someone yeah. in the room yeah. um, and it was big news when he was arrested. And Actually, it was in early 2000s, I think, he yeah, died in jail. More, oh, right. But I think he was arrested late 90s or something like that. So it was too it was too recent. That was my mistake. What was he doing? 250 um, he was, people. He was a doctor. I, oh, was he? <laughs> <laughs> doctor Death. Doctor Death was, was a doctor. <laughs> he was a doctor. And he would uh like he would basically inject his patients with heroin. Like he would he would um Doctor Party, it sounds more like to me. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly elderly women. Oh. Um, and he would. Don't think they'd be up for that. Steal they? from them, or in a few cases, this one woman. This is where it all came unravelled for him, is that um, the uh, uh, this solicitor's office received a letter from this uh, woman who was quite respected in the area, um, and it was a will that left everything to her doctor mm-hmm. and not her family, and then she died less than a week later. But they'd never heard from this woman before. They hadn't managed any of her estate or anything. Um, it confused her daughter, who was a solicitor and who had a copy of her mother's will. Mm. So she was sort of like, ooh, I don't think mum would have left yeah. everything to her doctor. A doctor death as well. What a weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird. I mean, you'd change yeah. your name, yeah. wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't practice under doctor death. Right, and then it all unraveled. Yeah, it all kind of unraveled from there. And then they sort of backtracked and found he had a – other people had, had raised flags earlier because he had quite a high death rate of his patients. Wow. But they looked into it and couldn't really find anything and all they really found was that, you know, he had a lot of patients. He was very popular mm. and a lot of them were elderly and it was right. just kind of, yeah, uh, statistically okay. – yeah, yeah, he's going to have more because he has more patients mm. and in an older area, so that makes sense. I'm sure there'd be people that went to him that he liked and just treated normally. Yeah, so imagine being one of those people that. Oh, oh if you were God, young, he's a great doctor. Yeah, he's a great doctor. If you're just a bit younger, yeah. he would have been a fine doctor or a man. You would have mm. been fine. That's it's horrible, just if you're an old it? lady. So that didn't go down great. With the live crowd? Or? No, well, as soon as I said – because I said Dr. Death and they didn't really say much and then I said his name, which I think was Harold Shipman, and they all went, mm. ooh. <laughs> so they knew the name and I was like, okay, too soon. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I really fucked this up. Uh, so, yeah, you've just travelled around the UK for two weeks. You put the shows on sale earlier this year. Yeah. Just threw it out there, let's see if we can sell some shows in the UK. Yeah. Sold out in – Four hours. Four hours. Yep. How many shows? Uh, at that time it would have been – 
ooh, six or seven. Mm. And then we added, uh, it must have been six, and we added extra shows in a couple of places. Yeah, or, or moved to bigger rooms if we could and put on more tickets that way. And then while we were over there, our venue in Leeds contacted us and said the show after us had cancelled, so there was a spot there if we wanted to do another show. So mm. we just put on like a basically a drunk show, like we just did a really loose quiz yeah. kind of thing. And in 48 hours... We didn't give people much notice because we didn't have a lot of notice and we sold something like 80 tickets online and another 20 on the door. So we got another 100 people in. (laughs) Ridiculous. When you first put them on sale and they sold in four hours, were you guys just like, what the hell? Yeah. I find it amazing. Obviously, your podcast's great and there's a lot of great Australian podcasts, a lot of great podcasts, Mm. but I do find it amazing when someone on the other side of the world yeah. Says they listen to it. Like you just kind of forget that iTunes and the internet is everywhere. It's amazing. Um, I was doing Edinburgh Fringe this year and I was talking to my tech Connor about podcasts mm. and he said, oh, my favourite Australian podcast is uh, Do Go On. <laughs> he goes, it's probably the, my, my favourite podcast, full stop. And I was like, oh, I know Matt, Dave and Jess. And his face was like, I just said I knew Elvis. Like, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, he was like, what? I was like, yeah, I know those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he, yeah, he was saying that all his, like, his mates listen to it. Crazy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And I was like, God, that podcasts and, are great. <laughs> yeah. And, and you do forget the power of the internet. And even, because Auntie Donna, you know how incredibly popular they are mm. all over. They've done shows in the US and the UK and they've got a huge online audience because of YouTube and then their podcasts and stuff. But even when they were doing shows, I think in the US and probably in UK, Broden said at every single show they had, somebody was a do-go-on listener. Like yeah. people would come up and say they loved do-go-on. <laughs> and he'd be going, this is insane. Yeah. And then we had that in the UK, people wearing Auntie Donna t-shirts. And yeah. It was like, okay, there's a bit of a network happening here. That's a good crossover. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, Connor, he was going to do your tech yes. at the Edinburgh show and unfortunately got another gig in a different city and couldn't do it, which couldn't he was it. absolutely beside himself about. <laughs> um, uh, 160 apps you've done, 164, yeah, like yep, five? I think so, something like that. Have you got a target in mind, four, 500? I don't know. I don't think we thought we'd get to 100 or mm. – I think some, there was something like the the – not many podcasts get past 10 or something like that. Okay. Not not many, but, you know, like that's kind of the once you can get past that and keep the momentum going because mm. we haven't missed a week either. It's mm. a weekly podcast and in that time it's gone out every week. That's great. Which yeah. is pretty full on, which kind of means that there's been times when one of us has been away but we plan for it and have like a backlog and they just keep yeah. going. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how long we can – how long we'll – We'll go for. Mm. Do you know other countries where you've got a lot of listeners that you can target and do live shows? Yeah, we're aiming for the US next year. Great. Which would be awesome. Yeah. And possibly even New Zealand because that's mm. so easy to get to yeah. and it's just next door. Mm. Just pop over for a bit. Um, it'd be great to be able to do UK one year, US the next, vice yeah. versa and just keep. Keep going. Mm. A lot of people as well said like, uh, why didn't you tack on a holiday at the end of the UK trip? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't have the time or money to do that. <laughs> but I would hope to do that when we, if we go to the US, I'd like to have a bit of a holiday afterwards as well. Excellent. It's a cool way to see the world, but you don't really tourist. Mm. It's a bit like uh, anytime you're on roadshow, you turn up in your town, you do your show and you kind of leave. Yeah, you, you can have a little walk around, but that's about that's it. That's about it. Maybe have a, have a 
custard tart from the bakery or something. <laughs> Obviously. <Yeah. laughs> That's the first thing you do in Australia. Charlton Bakery, by the way, guys. Best custard tart in Charlton. Australia okay. I've had. Charlton in Victoria, that is. Okay. But, yeah, I think our other plan would be more Australian mm. cities as well because we've done – Brisbane once and Sydney a few times and obviously we do comedy festival in Melbourne. So we'd like to sort of get over to Perth and yeah. Adelaide and sort of try and it, – it makes so much sense. The live shows are so popular from a business side of view. They're kind of profitable and they make sense for us to do them. Mm. And if we can get out and meet as many people as possible, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Do you think if you didn't take a bit of a backseat with stand-up, you'd have – the time to put as much effort into your podcasting and Triple J as you have? No, I don't I don't think so. I think, well, it is hard to keep all of those plates mm. spinning. I think the nice thing now is that at the start of this year, I left my nine to five Monday to Friday job, right? Um, which was good. And I, I did pick up like some casual work in retail again. I did that for six months or whatever. But now I'm kind of... I don't have a day job to go to. I'm giving that a go for a while. Right. Hopefully I can sustain that. We'll see how I go. But, um, it, yeah, hopefully it will mean I can put more time and effort into – because, yeah, even radio, I just kind of coast along and mm-hmm. I don't feel like I've improved all that much. So to be able to focus a bit more time on it might mean that I can improve. And Yeah, you probably don't feel like that, but I'm sure – I'm sure I have. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Yeah, it's just a gradual game. thing. Yeah. Same with the podcast. I think um, – yeah, if I can be a bit more organised and not be doing my reports the day that we're going to record them, that mm. will be a big win for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a real character flaw in me. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think you might try and add stand-up back into that? I think so. Yeah. I think a, a solo show is something that I think I, I feel I have to do. Mm. Something that – because I was such – I was a drama nerd at school. I loved performing. I loved sort of creating a show. Mm. So I think that will be a, it's a, it's something that I I will regret if I don't do probably. Mm. I don't know. I might listen back to this in a year and be like, <laughs> "Ah, what an idiot." <laughs> and not be writing a show, but hopefully I'll get back into stand up because I do like doing it too. Yeah. Well, you're in a great position before a first show is that you know how stand up works, yeah. you know the game, but you've also got what a lot of people don't have in their first show and is that you'll have a supporter base. Yeah. through other Platforms. How lucky is that? So yeah, you've got a crowd, which is great. Yeah. So now you just have to work your material out, and away you go. And I don't think there's any harm in waiting as well. No. No. I think a lot of a lot of people will sort of rush into it, or some get too concerned about when they do their first one because they Mm -hmm. get concerned about things like awards and if I do it now, then I'm I'm a chance for best newcomer and stuff like that. And I just sort of think that would all be very nice. Mm. But if that's my main motivator, then I probably need to reprioritize. Yeah. Yeah. I I wish I waited a little while with my first solo. I went in maybe three years in. I wish I had waited another year or two. But um, If I go – so, yeah, I would have liked to have gone next year, so 2019. If I do 2020, that's five years in Mm. with some solid breaks as well. It's not – Gigging three hundred gigs a year yeah. for five years, what I think that's pretty it? reasonable. Oh, I've already got the name. Cotton balls in the ass. <laughs> well, now that's the name. Yeah. I wanted to call it almost. Oh yeah. Nice. I read this quote about the word almost and how it's a big, big thing in this person's life, and it kind of resonated. 
Great. And I feel like I'm I'm always almost there. Yeah, <laughs> Well, keep an eye out for that in 2020, maybe 21 or 22. 22 sometime. <laughs> keep an eye out for it. <laughs> now, before uh, we wrap up, I want to just talk to you about Christmas. Yes. Because it is just around the corner. And when this comes out, this podcast, in a couple of weeks, it's going to be right on the doorstep of Christmas. Yeah. Are you a... Christmas fan? Do you get right into the spirit of Christmas? I like Christmas, yeah. I remember it was more fun when I was a kid. I come from two really big families. Mm-hmm. My mum's one of nine kids. My dad's one of eight. That's so good. They would have been good. So good. A lot of cousins. Um, and so Christmas was really fun when we were little and there was lots of presents. And mm-hmm. um, now it's a bit different because obviously all my cousins have kind of grown up and a few of them starting their own families. And so – you're not all together at once, mm-hmm. but I really like Christmas. I like to play Christmas carols very loudly <laughs> oh, no. while my family tries to have Christmas Eve dinner. <laughs> I just play Christmas carols loud. Are you a Mariah Carey? Is that what you go to, the go-to songs? It's always in there, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's in the playlist. My mum used to wake us up Christmas morning by playing Bing Crosby's White Christmas. Okay. So that's always that's in the nice. mix too, yeah. yeah. It's fun. It's hard as well Uh when you when you've got a partner too, then you've got to figure out what the Christmas plans get tricky. Then yes, you're looking at uh, whose lunch we going to, yeah. whose breakfast, whose dinner. Yep, got to chop and a lot change. of scheduling. Yeah, and my boyfriend's originally from Sydney, so it's either what we've done the last last Christmas and we're doing it again this year is separate Christmases, mm-hmm. and then I'll go up and see his family for New Year's. That's nice because we live in Melbourne. The rest of the time. So he can see yeah. my family anytime. Yeah, yeah. But we go up for New Year's and his birthday and that kind of works. Mm. Otherwise, you sort of have to go well, like what my parents do because my mum's from the country. So we, we'll sort of go Melbourne Christmas, Ballarat Christmas mm. and we alternate. Right. Yeah. This year's a Ballarat Christmas. Oh, that'd be nice. That'd country. Be nice. Yep. Do you leave carrot and beer out for <laughs> Not anymore. Santa and the reindeers still? Not anymore. No? Do you? Well, yes. Okay. I. <laughs> Okay. I often like to. So you just have uh, a beer Christmas well, there's often Eve. Kids is what you're around. There's often. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's often kids around Christmas yeah. Eve. Um, obviously, these kids are family related. Random kids. <laughs> I was worrying you out. were just leaving a beer out here. Yeah. Where it's just the two of you. Yeah. And then you'd get up in the middle of the night to drink some of the beer. Well, Santa's been <laughs> cheeky. Uh, I remember once I was speaking to an American I was working with. It, and she said, beer? You can't leave beer out for Santa. You'll get drunk. And I was like, oh, you're thinking about this too much. Yeah. She's like, we leave milk and cookies. Yeah. Like, hey, well, some people do that as well. But I think I did that. I think I left milk out as a kid mm. and maybe a, a, a bicky or a cookie for him and then probably a carrot for the reindeer. Yeah. God, that was fun. Oh, I remember my father used to go to – Oh, it was the best. He really had a good imagination. Um, he would crush the carrot up as if it's been chewed by yeah. reindeer. He one year he painted uh, hoof hoof marks <gasps> and put them on the landing at the front of the house. Yeah, great. And chewed it. like so. You know, kids are just losing. Their I'm 16. Minds. Convinced Santa Claus is still a thing. You yeah, know? I woke up one Easter to um, little Easter eggs made into arrows. Oh, leading yeah. from my bedroom door, like out to where the, all the Easter eggs and Great. stuff were. That's good fun. Yeah. My brother's seven years older than me too, so by the time I was, you know, of an age where that kind of stuff was exciting to me, he was old enough to help my parents do it. So he'd have fun <laughs> like leaving out Easter egg trails <laughs> and stuff too. 
I had one nightmare night when I was about, I must have been like eight, and I woke up, I was too excited, and I woke up to sticky tape being pulled off a dispenser, like that noise and paper <laughs> rustling, and we only had a small house, and I think I shared a room with my sister, and she's like, don't go outside, don't go out there, and I walked out down the hall, and I could just see mum and dad just wrapping presents, <laughs> and I just was like, yeah, that's fine, that could be for Anyone, us, yeah. and then I came out the next morning, and it said from Santa, and I was like, I still kind of convinced myself that yeah. he'd left the presents and they, you know, asked them to wrap them yeah. for him. Um, God, you wanted to believe. I did. That's sweet. I really did. <laughs> Have you done your shopping yet? Do you do your no, shopping? I haven't done you it. You're a last minute shopper? Not super last minute, but like mm. the solid fortnight before, I reckon. That's good. That's, That's a long bad. way a week before. week before. I think I'm being kind to myself. It's funny. Mums do it eight months before. Yeah. And then everyone else does it two weeks to a day before. Yeah. Yeah. And my family kind of do uh, the last few years. We've just done. You buy a present for each person, but it can only be about ten dollars worth. Or one time we did it had to be from the same shop. You mm-hmm. only had fifty bucks, and you could spend that at one place. Mm-hmm. So it means that you end up buying funny or quite yeah. ridiculous presents. Like last year, my brother got everyone remote control cars, but they were quite shit. Like they had a cord attached to them, so you had to <laughs> chase the car around. But then we just had races around the house. Yeah. Good fun. It's That's great. Yeah. Uh, I've done the Kris Kringle ones where, yeah, it's a $100 or $50 limit and you buy something, put it in. Oh, yeah. Then every, every, all the presents are in, no names on them. Yep. You draw out of a hat, one to 12 or whatever, you take your present done it for five years, four years out of the five I've ended up with my own present because all the others were shit. I always just pick what I bought. Get a basket. That basket is great. It's not going anywhere. Who bought that basket? Everybody's like, oh, I don't know. Just play dumb. (laughs) Like, oh, that's great. Thanks, uh, whoever did, anonymous gifter. Santa Claus. (laughs) Great. Well, well, Merry Christmas. Hope you have a great Christmas. Likewise. Uh, Same to all the listeners out there. Um, I'll be on Triple J if anybody's. Yeah, tune in. Tune in Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and Boxing Day. Yeah. So what's the station again? 107.5. Two to six, I'll be there. Great. I reckon we might put that on Christmas Day. Yeah, go on. It's nice. It's not listening to some music. Um, So, yeah, and and also do go on is – are you doing any festivals next year, live shows? Yeah, we're going to do Melbourne. I think we're going to try and head over to Perth, but nothing's locked in. Yeah. And we might be popping into Adelaide as well, but not huge runs or anything, just one or two spots here. But, yeah, we're definitely doing Melbourne and we'll be um, all over Australia and the world. Excellent. (laughs) And you've got a website for Do Go On? Yeah, it's dogoonpod.com. Great. Check that out. Also, you're on social media. You can check out your Instagram. Wow, bloody love socials. Big on Instagram. Yeah, it's just Instagram's Jess Perkins great. on Insta. Jess Perkins, yeah. And Jess underscore Perkins on Twitter. Through the underscore end, did you? Yeah, had to. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> no worries. Well, that is it. Thanks very much for taking it easy with me today. Thanks for having me. No worries. Hey, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that one. As Jess said there, you can keep an ear out for her on Triple J this Christmas. Also, keep an eye out for live Do Go On podcasts at festival a festival near you in 2019. And follow Jess on social media. Instagram is Jess Perkins and Twitter is Jess underscore Perkins. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. That would be much appreciated. Uh, it's on iTunes, obviously. So if you send your friends there, uh, send them along to iTunes, Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Uh, If you're on iTunes and you could leave a comment or a rating, that'd be much appreciated. If your friends aren't on 
iTunes. They can send them to my website, danielconnell.com.au. There's a podcast section there with 30-odd other episodes. Uh, while you're on there, you might as well check out my gigs page. I've got uh, my new show, Piece of Piss, coming to all the different festivals. Uh, you can check that out on the website. Uh, if you're on Facebook, check out my Facebook page, Daniel Connell Comedy. Give it a like. Uh, or Instagram, I'm also Daniel Connell Comedy. Get around those as well. Apart from that, that is it. Thanks very much for listening and take it easy. Cheers.